Howdy, everyone, and thank you again for tuning in to the Jeffersonian Tradition. Before we get started, I have a couple of things to go over. For now, the podcast is mostly ad-free, and I sure would like to keep it that way. You can help me out with that by becoming a supporting listener. If you find value in the podcast, there is a link in the show notes page that will enable you to contribute to my work and to help keep the podcast going, and also help to keep the show light on advertising. Contributions start as low as $0.99 per month, with two other brackets at $4.99 per month or $9.99 per month. If you aren't comfortable with a recurring contribution model, I have also set up a Cash App profile for the show. One-time contributions can be sent through Cash App to the show email address, which is mrjeffersonian at outlook.com. Any contribution amounts help, and thank you in advance to anyone who chooses to pitch in. In other show-related news, if there is a topic you'd like for me to cover, or if you just have general questions for me, I can be contacted at the show email address, which again is mrjeffersonian at outlook.com. We also have a budding MeWe group titled After the Show, so if you'd like to be a member there, then download the MeWe app and search for me at the username Mr. Jeffersonian. It is a private group, so we must be contacts before I can send you the group invite. And if you aren't familiar with MeWe, uh, being contacts is the same as being friends on Facebook. Now, today's show is going to be a little bit different. This is more of a, I'm going to call it a touch point. Uh, so for the July 4th, or as I am officially calling it now, Secession Day episode, I released an episode specifically around secession, but more so as a defense of the concept and as a foundational principle of how America was actually brought into existence. So over the weekend, I had a chance to go um, do some very light promotional stuff for the, for the show, and really it wasn't so much that, but... My in-laws had a, a, a pretty big church function at, at a local park, so I went there and was just able to, to kind of talk to a few people and, and draw them into the idea, and I ended up being able to share the podcast with them. So there was this one young man in particular. He was somewhat familiar with libertarianism. He had just recently been exposed to it, um, didn't know a lot of the deeper philosophy behind it, but he really liked the idea of you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. And so I took this chance to, to talk with him uh, because one of our mutual friends told, told him that I was a pretty ardent libertarian, which, yes, in the past I was. Uh, so we, we had a pretty good discussion, and he brought it to my attention that he didn't really like the idea of secession. And then that kind of made me realize what I stated before, that in the previous episode, I, I dedicated time to describing it as a concept, but not necessarily explaining why I desire that as a political end. All right, so reason number one that I want secession as an end in and of itself. Uh, Growing up in an incredibly small, close-knit community, I think that small is beautiful and that knowing your your local politicians, sometimes through multiple generations, is a powerful tool in ensuring decency and efficiency in the execution of public office. And so I grew up in a really, really small town uh, in northern, or excuse me, in North Louisiana, and within this town, you had families who had lived there for for years, uh, in some cases going back at least as far as grandparents, in many cases even great-grandparents. So we're talking about a span of potentially up to about 100 years. And when you have such a strong and stable community, over time it does seem like everybody knows everybody. Uh, now that's not always going to be the case, but with a small town like that, um, it's easier to hold your elected officials accountable because if you, let's say, 
if you have a problem a problem with what the school board is implementing as far as curriculum, a lot of these people went to school together. Uh, now they have kids going to school together, and it's easy or or well, excuse me, it's easier to go to those school board meetings and have difficult conversations if you want to see the topics changed or the curriculum changed because there is familiarity there. Now, you can also talk to these people offline because a lot of these guys, um, especially down there, maybe they hunt together. Uh, Maybe they go to the same church. So you can have informal conversations with them and express those concerns. And these people can see firsthand, do our constituents like this or do they not? And that's a very powerful check on that. Now, we can also say that when it comes to policing, there's also an incentive there to not escalate the situation. Because let's just use drunk driver as an example. If a small town cop goes out and finds somebody who's driving drunk, uh, I'm of the opinion as long as they didn't actually hit anybody, then there's no victim. Therefore, there should not be any crime. So you, you have a situation where the the local officer can leave that more up to his own discretion uh, versus if you're in a large anonymous city everybody gets the same blanket treatment you know if you have a or if you catch a kid drinking underage yeah you can talk to their parents but there's no need to give them a record you know let's say they're 17 18 years old there's no reason to give them a record especially if they're not um, driving or anything like that let's just say they're sitting around a bonfire and a cop shows up boom they're busted have a talk with the parents, uh, let the parents handle it. If the cop has a good enough relationship, maybe they can try to talk to the, to the kid and, and try to instruct them like, Hey, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this at, at least wait till you're out of school. So I I'm of the opinion, again, small is beautiful. Small is great. Now, the next reason that I'm in favor of secession for its own sake is that decentralization is the death knell of nationalism And by extension, it would be the end of Imperial America. And so if one state goes, uh, you're not going to see this so much. Let's let's say Vermont. If Vermont were successful in leaving the American Union and joining Canada, well, that's just a little bit less in terms of resources that the general government can draw upon. But emboldened by Vermont's example, let's say 10 other states decide they want to leave. Well, now (laughs) the general government's going to be running into a little bit larger of a problem in terms of trying to maintain the empower, they the they have less in terms of manpower and material resources that they can draw on. Their credit rating would most likely take a, a pretty severe hit. Investors uh, now, granted, they could still use the Fed and try to print their way out of it, but people would probably see that for what it is, and thereby delegitimize and destabilize the the current regime. The next reason is that the representative ratio at the general level is absolutely atrocious. Uh, As of the time of this recording, it's approximately one representative for roughly every 750,000 citizens of the United States. And to me, that's just, in what way is that actually representative government? I I mean, there's absolutely no way that one person can keep track of the wants and desires and needs of 750,000 people. And you have a very small group, uh, I'm going to call them a cabal, in D.C. who hold all the reins of power. And these people, again, not really a good representation of their constituents. They can legislate. They can levy taxes. They can call upon the military. They can do all this stuff. Um, And again, one for every 750,000. 
that that's not representative and and that's not at all what the founders thought uh, should be the size of our representation or the proportion James Madison actually thought that we should have roughly one representative for every 30,000 citizens and that that wouldn't be workable either because if if we did that based on the current size of the US population the general government would have over 10,000 members and it again it just becomes un, unwieldy at that point you can't realistically have all that many people gathered together and trying to vote on different topics or trying to debate on different topics. Now, the next reason is more in line with military reasons. Uh, Specifically, I'm not really in favor of standing armies. So at one point, I was also uh, a member of the armed forces, just just so y'all know a little bit about me. And I saw firsthand some of the fraud, waste, and abuse that goes on in, in that organization. I, specifically, I was in the Army. And you have a lot of people who are joining now because, one, it's a paycheck, but, two, they can get student loans paid off. They can have free college once they get out. You don't really have people who are joining because they understand the concepts of American federalism or the American Constitution or love of country. Again, you have people there who, who are there for the benefits, now, there are still some people who want to be patriotic, and more power to them. But again, you you have an awful lot of people nowadays who are only going because the benefits are better than what you're going to get in probably 99% of other em- employment options. And so with that being said, uh, Biden a couple of weeks ago made a statement uh, to the effect that people who cling to the Second Amendment because they may have to take up arms to take on a tyrannical government— would need F-15s and nukes. And just think about the implied message there that an American president would even insinuate that he would be willing to nuke his own citizenry. That is frightening. I, I mean, that that is a really huge problem. And then you have people like Mark Milley who come out and say, yes, I want to understand white rage. I am a white man, but I want to understand this. Because the people on January 6th tried to overthrow the U.S. Constitution. What a sickening statement. Because if he understood the American Constitution, I can guarantee you he would be demanding that the troops be brought home from all of our foreign presences. We're not here to be the the world policemen or the world police force. We should, if anything have maybe a small standing defensive military, and really I, I would say only the Navy, but what just what a sick joke that he would stand up there and say that with a straight face. But if you have somebody like that who's in charge of the actual operations of the military and, and the recruiting practices, the training, and everything else, if you have somebody like that, what happens if they do try to act on that you know, what What happens if they do enable that or, or implement that against their own citizens? And so, again, uh, going back to a previous point, if you start to decentralize and have states leave, you are depriving the general government of the manpower to be able to carry something like that out. And I think that would be a good thing, especially if we have somebody in office right now who, who would even imply this. I, I think that would be a great thing. Now, the next reason is that I believe secession would give states that are still decent a fighting chance to not be overtaken by liberals from terrible states who bring their awful ideas with them. Colorado is a good example of this. Uh, From what I understand, Colorado actually used to be fairly conservative, 
and had relatively low taxes. Um, now I've been here for about six years now, and I can tell you every single year, every single year, we get more people in from California. Uh, we get some people from West Texas, but we've been getting a lot of people from California. And every year, the voting trend goes further and further in the wrong direction. And especially this past year, every tax that was on the ballot passed. Now, Colorado Springs voted against it. Colorado Springs is still relatively conservative compared to the rest of the state. But even with Colorado Springs acting as a counterweight, it wasn't enough. Denver and Boulder and a handful of other smaller areas were able to, to get every single tax passed. And that's that's not a good thing. Colorado is, is rapidly be- becoming just unrecognizable even from when I came here. And our state legislature is starting to do a lot of things without even putting it to a vote. They're, they're just acting unilaterally because they know otherwise there's a strong chance it may not work or pass. And so for those states who are still decent and, and have a, a, an okay balance in terms of government taxation versus private production, this gives them a chance to fight back because if Texas were to leave, they could say, we're not letting anybody from California and we, we don't want to deal with it. Uh, and same for California. If California wants to go and try their ideas to the fullest extent, by all means, go for it. And they could say, we're not taking people from Alabama. I, I'm okay with that. I wouldn't necessarily want it to be that way, but they, they could do it. So that's another reason. And the next reason is that secession, in my opinion, is the only way to ensure domestic tranquility, since both sides abhor the idea of the other team being in control of the general government. Again, I'm going to point back to January 6th. You have a group of people, uh, they, they protest at the Capitol. Now, I don't, I don't think it's anywhere near as serious as what the mainstream media is trying to paint it as. But the point remains, they were there because they were mad that their guy lost, lost the vote. I do think there was foul play. But in an ideal scenario, we wouldn't care who won that vote because the president should have no direct impact over um, American citizens at all. But in the situation that we find ourselves in in the real world, the president does, in fact, have an awful lot of sway because we basically created an elected king. And so I think it would be a good thing to scale back the powers of the president. But what's a realistic option? You could have states, again, break off, secede, go their own way, and they're no longer under the jurisdiction of that person. And they are strictly under the jurisdiction of their state government. And so it would be, one, more representative. Two, it would be smaller, so it's more easily controlled uh, by the citizenry, in theory at least. And three, uh, you have, again, another mode of resistance and organization against the American empire, which is a good thing. Now, my ideal society would, at the very least, be 50 free and independent states, but realistically, the outcome would most likely be four to five smaller countries if we ever did see a secession movement. Now, these smaller countries could still have mutual defense agreements, and free trade could or could not be employed amongst them. So let's say if we have a Midwestern Confederacy and a Northwestern Confederacy, or, or we'll just say a Western, uh, like a West Coast Confederacy. The Western Confeder- Confederacy or West Coast Confederacy They could say, hey, uh, you know what, with the Northeast, we're going to have free trade with y'all. But for you folks there in the Midwest, we don't like your politics and we're going to slap tariffs on you. 
I don't think that would be a good thing. Uh, but they th- again, they could do it. But what if all the smaller countries said, you know what? It would still be mutually beneficial to all of us to have free trade. And I, I do think that's a realistic possibility. If, if you're not under the legal jurisdiction of one state or the other because of an overbearing central government, then you can take people's money without liking what they have to say or liking how they live their lives. Uh, we see that all the time in, in a capitalist society. You have people who don't necessarily care for something, but you know what? If you got the money, I got the time. And so why, why couldn't it be the same? And now for those scared that this sort of arrangement could not work from a defense standpoint, just keep in mind that as of 2020, the population of the entire country of Switzerland was estimated to be 8.65 million people. That's only slightly more people than the state of Virginia, which has a 2020 estimated population of 8.5 million. Switzerland's modern federal constitution was implemented in 1848, and they have been free of military conquest at least since that point, and, and even longer before that. They were technically taken over by France at, at one point back around the time of Napoleon, um, but they, they've, relatively speaking, been a very peaceful country, and they've never really had to worry about that too much. So you could have smaller confederacies who set up mutual defense contracts for people on the coast if they say, you know what, we're bearing the lion's share of this. Again, create a treaty and say, we'll provide some manpower, or if you're not going to provide manpower, you could at least say, okay, well, we'll contribute X amount of dollars per year towards the maintenance of a coastal Navy. And I I, I think that would be a good idea. And I, I do think that the middle states would need to contribute something towards that. But that's something that could all be worked out through diplomacy. So this is going to be our stopping point for today. Um, again, I just wanted to release this as a bonus episode and try to address some of the concerns that that young man expressed to me when we were having a conversation over the weekend. And please remember, if you find value in this podcast, to check out the contribution link included in the show notes page. And that can be done through the Anchor platform if you're comfortable with a recurring model. Uh, If you're more comfortable with a one-time model, again, I set up a Cash App profile for the show. So thank you again to anyone who chooses to contribute. And thanks for tuning in, and I'll talk to you all next time.